0: Let's pray together. Lord God, our hearts are filled with gratitude and thankfulness to be gathered together as your body. How we've missed one another and still do as we're called to be apart. We pray that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the encouragement, the comfort, that we need from one another, that we miss and long for. We pray that you would be the source of our strength. We pray that you would be with those who are ill, be with those who are in positions of of high risk. We pray that you would protect them and watch over them. We pray, Lord, that our hope and our confidence would not be in our masks or our distancing or our hand sanitizer but that our hope and our our confidence would be in you alone. We know that these means, uh, these attempts that we have to be safe are futile ultimately against your will. And so our, our hope is in you and in your will and not the steps that we take to remain safe. As we gather this morning, I pray that you would be pleased with our praise, that the joy in our hearts would overflow in our voices. And we pray that you would strengthen us by your Spirit through your Word. Fill us with your Word and with the strength that comes from it. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we want to wish all of you mothers a happy Mother's Day. God has blessed us with your love and care in more ways than we can count. You enrich our lives and you show us in so many different ways the love of Christ. And we want to thank you for what you do. We also want to greet those who are listening from home today. We miss you. And if there's any way that we can be of service to you or pray for you, let us know. We'd be happy to do that. Well, we're just a couple of steps away from having the gym ready for uh, broadcasting the video of the sermon, and that will be ready, Lord willing, next week, next Sunday. That's a big step for us because we believe that when the gym is ready to go, we can actually accommodate our normal numbers spread out throughout the building. And so that's an encouraging sign we'll be able to move closer and closer to our, our normal gatherings. I want to thank you all personally uh, for those of you who responded uh, to the email about your attendance this morning. That is a big help. It would not be possible without that. Um, as long as we're asked to maintain social distancing, we're going to be relying on those responses each week because just a few families change and that changes everything. It's important that we do that to maximize our capacity. Um, we'll continue to do our best to accommodate your requests. so if you have any preferences let us know if you're going to be here let us know how many are going to be in your group and where you'd like to be seated we can do a lot to 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 do that of course you can't accommodate every request but we'll do our best Now, last announcement, we figured out a safe way to collect the offering. So for the first time in almost two months, we're going to have a collection this morning. Uh, At the end of the service, the ushers are going to put out buckets. If you saw the white columns as you came in, every one of those columns will have a bucket on it. There's two outside the worship center, one outside the fireside room, and one outside the cry room. So when the service is over, get your offering ready before you stand up. And then on your way out, you can just drop that in the bucket. Do your best not to touch the bucket. Uh, Just drop it in there, and then you can head on out. We've got to do our best, right? (laughs) Even though it's never going to be enough. Um, So Jeremy will remind you of that at the end of the service. Put my mask back on, and we'll go back.
1: Please open your Bibles, if you have one, to Ephesians chapter 4. The notes are in the bulletin on your seat, or if you're viewing from home, on the website under the link. You can pause now and print those off, and we'll rejoin you now. We continue our study this morning of Ephesians chapter 4. It is Mother's Day, a Sunday celebrated throughout the calendar year to honor mothers. Um, But mothers get angry, don't they? Children are not the only ones that fathers might be tempted to provoke to wrath. And so I thought it best to continue our study in Ephesians because dealing with anger is a big issue in the Bible. Dealing with anger is huge. Mothers, fathers, sons, daughters need to learn how to deal with our anger. Two weeks ago, Pastor Daniel taught about the need for us to walk differently than the unbelievers. Our lifestyle, our walk must be marked with difference. It's the fruit that grows out of the root of our salvation. And I'll I'll reiterate that point. We don't become Christians by living differently. We don't become pleasing to God by the things that we do. We are those who have been called. We are those who have been raised from the dead spiritually. We are those who have come put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are trusting in his sacrificial death on our behalf. We are trusting in his substitutionary atonement as our satisfaction. And in him, we are standing before God. But from that position of standing, from that newness of being, we must live differently. In this section of Ephesians, Paul is laying out his ethical commands and instruction, breaking it up under the heading of walking a certain way. Your, your daily conduct before automobiles, you got about by walking. So as you walk about, as you go about your day, look at verse 17. I now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And he describes the Gentiles, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is within them. they become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality. Then last week we focused on how that change happens. Paul thinks of it along three axes. There is a putting off of the old man. Old behavior. Old practices. Old habits. 22. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through them. Through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This again is why change, real change, inward change, is only possible for believers. This isn't something we can export to self help groups. There are some who have tried. But this is only something possible for those who are being renewed inwardly by the Spirit of God. And then positively, to put on, verse 24, the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then what we see is Paul is going to take that paradigm and apply it to specific issues of sin and righteousness. He's got some specific areas in mind that he wants the church to live differently than the world. And they're pretty mundane. They're pretty common. They're pretty terrible. Because they're so familiar, we tend to think of these as small things. But last week, we began by looking at putting away falsehood. There's that put-off. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And I'll remind you again now, as I did then, that it's simply not good enough to stop something. When does a liar stop being a liar? The answer is not when they stop lying. They could be taking a nap. They begin to speak the truth. This morning we're going to look at anger. And I'm slowing down here because of just how practical this is. The way believers deal with their anger should mark us differently than the way the world does. We should deal with our anger in a different way. Now this side of salvation, being a new creature in Christ, we should walk differently when we're angry than the Gentiles do who don't know God. Then he's going to look at thievery and theft. Then corrupt language. And then we're going to look at just interpersonal conflicts in the body. These are mundane things in one sense. They're common. And yet our lives ought to be marked differently. Now we've got three simple statements here. Your, Your bullet point outline is our text. Our text is verse 26 and 27. Let's read it. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I'd like to have a word of prayer and then we will dive in. Lord God, let us not miss the importance of this topic. By its familiarity, by its prevalence, let us not downplay your commands to us regarding our anger. Let us hear with pierced ears, eyes that have been opened. We might see, and behold, be changed. Let us put off the old man. Let us be renewed in our minds and let us put on right way of behaving. In Jesus' name, amen. How to hang, handle your anger? How to handle your anger? Anger is a big biblical topic. A lot of the Bible is devoted to dealing with this, and I want you to understand we're talking about the full range. We we use euphemisms. We use softer words. We weren't angry. We were a little frustrated. Pretty sure. Frustrated is a fine word as long as you understand you're saying low level of anger. It's irritated. It's peeved. Whatever more respectable name you've got for your anger, the Bible uses some pretty straightforward words, anger, wrath, clamor. But as long as you and I both know that's what you're meaning when you say irritated, low level of anger. And anger doesn't always have to be expressed in outbursts and yelling. The Bible knows of a cold, hot simmer. Cold and hot, yes. Let me, oh yeah. Let me just read to you some of what the Proverbs has to say about anger. I want you to understand this is an important topic. This is no small thing. Proverbs 14.17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. A man of evil devices is hated. 14.29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Well, listen to this. If you're someone who has no control of your temper, Proverbs 22, 24, and 25 says, we should all distance ourselves from you. Listen to this. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight: a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. But a wise man quietly holds it back. You may think it's manly and masculine. I've taken all I can stand and I can't stand no more. You're a fool. If, if that's what you do. More to the point, our Lord Jesus Christ had much to say on this. From the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear that... Anger really comes from a root of murder. The anger tree, when it bears its full-born and full-grown mature fruit, gives birth to murder. Listen to Matthew 5, 21-24. Don't take my word for it. You have heard that it is said of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoa, Jesus. You're making a connection between murder, anger in my heart? Of course. You don't generally murder people you're not angry at, mad at. You can read Genesis chapter 4 and see as Cain's anger grew, what it led to it? Led to murder. It's the same tree. It's just different levels of development. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the fire of hell. We don't often think of our control issues with anger as a heaven or hell issue. Our Lord does. You better learn how to handle your anger, or it will take you to hell with it. Jesus says and so I, I think this is an appropriate topic. All of us in, in every station in life can have provocations to anger, mothers notwithstanding. I was a son who repeatedly provoked my mother, especially in my mid-20s, to anger and sorrow. I'm a husband who daily gives my wife provocations to anger. And so learning how to deal with our anger whether you're a son, whether you're a daughter, whether you're a husband, whether you're a wife, is crucial and critical for us. We're going to look at this in these three points uh, that that Paul gives us. Um, The first, 26a, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Now the first thing I want to point out to you is this. Not all anger is sinful. Not all anger is sinful. Now why do I say that? There's an immediate contextual reason why I say that, and a larger biblical reason. The immediate contextual reason is this. He doesn't say, put it away, stop it. He says, be angry and don't sin. Now, if you look down at verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath. Now, unhelpfully, the ESV translates the same word in its noun form, orge, which is the verb form, Being angry, and there's anger as wrath instead of anger. It's the same word, group, and family. Anyone reading this in Greek wouldn't get any distinct difference. What you get then is he's comfortable in one context talking about one type of anger, just saying, stop it, put it away. Take off that old man. He's talking here in verse 31 about the interpersonal conflict. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. And in that context, we know what he's talking about. And there's no sifting, oh, is that good or is it bad? It's bad, stop it. Well, if he says that in verse 31, what's he talking about up here? He's not repeating himself. He's talking more broadly. He's telling you what to do with your anger. You could almost think of this as, when you're angry, be angry this way. Not all anger is sinful. So, because he treats this topic twice with different instructions, I gather, there's an anger that just when you spot it, Stop it. Get rid of it. And as an anger, you need to make sure you don't sin. But there may be other instructions for that we're dealing with here. Not all anger is sinful. And the larger biblical reason I say that is we have examples in the Bible of people being angry and not sinning. Most notably, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus became angry. We read about it. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 2, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords he drove them out of the temple. I just want to stop. If you imagine, because you've got some view that any sense of anger, any sense of passion is wrong. If you think Jesus just sort of calmly went over to a table and just sort of re- No, he's throwing tables over. You would make a whip to whip people with. To lash them. He was angry, and that gets confirmed when the disciples viewing this remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17 visits Athens. We read this in verse 16. Now while Paul was waiting for them Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. As you saw, the city was full of idols. So there is a righteous anger. The Psalms express that as as men and women cry out to God, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? So not all anger is sinful. I think most of it tends to be. Or at the very least, most of my anger, if not all my anger, at the very least is tainted with sinful anger, even if there is some righteousness going on. So not all anger is sinful. Sinful anger, and here's a helpful way to distinguish, I think, finds its source in self. There's your blank. Sinful anger finds its source in self. Normally, human, fleshly anger is this. My will has been thwarted. What I decreed would come to pass has not come to pass. You have either gotten in my way or you are getting in my way. And King Jeremy will pronounce verdict and sentence and commence with judgment. And I will either punish you because I didn't get what I wanted, or I will threaten you and bully you to get what I want. And that anger is all coming out of self. I had a friend of mine who very helpfully would say this to me. we would be driving, and somebody would be driving poorly. And I would say, don't they know how to drive? And he says, I don't think they even know who you are. (sighs) I can't believe they do that to you. You of all people. And it was a very helpful little poke in my side to remind me. My wife has picked this up. The baton has been passed. We'll be driving. And I'll say, that, why are they in that lane? She says, I'm sure they wouldn't do that if they knew who you were. <laughs> but it's evidencing what? It's coming out of self. No, no, I'm just concerned for drivers everywhere. And I just, I, my heart is grieved that men and women must experience. No! Right? Sinful anger finds its root in self. Righteous anger finds its root in God. Zeal for your house. I'll give you you three points here. I was reading something on anger, and the author gave three clues or tips to distinguish. He writes, Righteous anger reacts against actual sin, not perceived sin. First, it's dealing with actual sin. Two, it focuses on God and his kingdom, God's rights and God's concerns, not on me, my kingdom, my rights and my concerns. And thirdly, righteous anger is always accompanied by other godly qualities, and it expresses itself in godly ways, such as the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, self-control, patience. In fact, what I'm going to suggest to you is that what you have to do actually is, is Work through your anger. You, you may not be in a position to know rightly whether your anger that you're feeling is godly or not. Oh, believe me, you'll, you'll be convinced it is. You'll argue vociferously to someone else. And, no, 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 this, is, this isn't right. This isn't the way things are supposed to be. This is God's will. You can make a good case and all, but you've got to work through it. In fact, I think the next three statements help us to work through it. So Paul gives an initial command. When you're angry, don't sin. I think it's a call to that initial need for self-control. He's also here quoting Psalm 4. Now, if you keep your finger here, I'm only going to ask you to turn to two other passages. Psalm 4, we're going to go to James a little later. But if you turn to Psalm 4, Paul, writing to a largely Gentile church, assumes they're tracking with him. He's quoting the Old Testament. So helping to understand what he's talking about here, we're going to need to understand what's going on in Psalm 4 a psalm which we studied a few summers ago, right before we began Luke. One of the psalms we went through that summer was Psalm 4. And he quotes verse 4 of Psalm 4. But it's a short enough psalm. Let's take a look at it quickly. It's Davidic. Psalm 4 and its psalm title, a psalm of David. So this is a psalm of David, and in it, David is in some distress. Now it's possible, due to its placement, This continues the theme of his distress under Absalom's revolt. If you look at Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. That's possible. So this could be a psalm written, accompanying thematically, or written in the time when David was fleeing Absalom. That's possible. David's suffering some reproach, some dishonor. It's also possible this was written at a time of drought or famine. David references, um, look at verse 6 and 7. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart when they have grain and wine abound. So he's contrasting people saying, who's going to show us some good? Who's going to help us? And David says, I've, I've got more joy in my heart than when they have what they want. And So presumably they're wanting grain and wine. So either, either way, but David is the king. If, if, if Israel's... Suffering disgrace, if Israel's suffering a famine, that that's shedding a poor light on David, or if David's fleeing from his own son, and so David is crying out to God on the one hand, and simultaneously counseling other groups of people. So let's just read through it. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, and now he's speaking out horizontally, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? It's interesting that David, that Paul gives this command, be angry and do not sin, right after forbidding lying. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears my I call to him. So his first instruction is to men who are relishing David's ignominy and shame, their loving, vain, and lying words, and his instruction for them is, you need to know something. The Lord has set apart the godly for himself, and the Lord hears when I call to him. Then, possibly to a different group, he gives this counsel. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent, Salah. We should then lead them, Offer up sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So there are another group dealing with anger. And if this is David's fleeing from Absalom, this would to some degree be righteous anger. Is it not right to see the Lord's anointed, the Lord's chosen king, be so dishonored by his own son, you hear the reports of his shaming as Absalom goes into David's wives in public on a rooftop as a way of further shaming him? And then Shemis following along the ridge cursing at him. Oh, we know David's mighty men were provoked. Why does my Lord let this dead dog curse at him? So they may well have cause for righteous anger. Or it may well be watching their family and their children starve and waste away for lack of food. Who knows the cause? David's command to them is be angry and not sin. Now, the Greek versions of the Old Testament that we have. This is a word-for-word quote. Paul is absolutely quoting Psalm 4-4. And so I think oftentimes because of this, we misunderstand what Paul is saying Ephesians 4. And people will say, don't let the sun go down your wrath. You've got to go deal with other people. I think this is fundamentally dealing with yourself. Paul's counsel to them is to close their mouth and then meditate on the bed. Right? Be angry. Do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. So point C here under point one is this. Be self-controlled in your anger. So Paul's initial pants. Okay, you're angry. And you may have good cause to be angry. Shut up. You've got some thinking and pondering to do first. You've got some, some working through this, pondering and meditating to do First. Be angry and do not sin. Close your mouth. Ponder on your bed. It's a call for self-control. And if you're thinking in the context of the put off and put on, put off outbursts of anger. Put off blowing up. Put off self-discipline. Recognize anger is rising in me. I got some thinking I need to do. I need to control myself. Be self-controlled. Point one. Control your tongue. Control your Tongue. Point two, control your body. Now turn, turn over to James, to James 3. David's instruction in Psalm 4 is them to be silent and to ponder on their beds. Because when we become angry, usually the first way we want to respond is we want to say something, we want to voice our anger, we want to voice our contempt, we want to voice our frustration. And in marriages and in the home, for husbands and for wives and for mothers and children. In our anger, we generally don't tend to strike one another. That does sadly happen occasionally. But more often, the weapons of our war in the home are, are words like drawn swords. Look at verse... Ooh, let's start with um, verse 2 of chapter 3 of James. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue As a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce fig? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And he goes on to explain how anyone who would teach, anyone who thinks they're wise in the church, they need to control their tongue and their temper. So the first command is to be self-control. Be angry and do not say, okay, you're angry. You may have good cause to be angry. Your anger may entirely be righteous. That's awesome. Close your mouth and ponder and think it through. Work it through. Don't just trust your judgment. No, this is righteous anger. Most of the time I think that I'm still wrong. Or best, most of the time I think that there's some selfish anger in there as well. Let's be honest. And, And so... Paul quotes Psalm 4.4, she assumes the Ephesians are familiar with, says, hey, being angry, be angry and do not sin. Be self-controlled, control your tongue, control your body. And then he says, do not let the sun go down in your anger. Now that's the part of this um, text that I think is often misunderstood, at least in its immediate implication. I think, as a secondary application, it may well be this is talking about, and it may well mean in certain instances. I need to stop from doing and go be reconciled to someone before the sun goes down. But since he's quoted Psalm 4:4, and Psalm 4:4 talks about pondering on your beds, I think what he's doing is, is riffing off of that, developing that thought. Assuming we know the quotation, know verse 4: be angry and do not sin. Ponder on your beds and be silent. Be angry do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Take care of it this evening. If you have to lose some sleep, lose some sleep. You have to stay up late, praying, working through your anger. That's fine. You do it. Which is to say, point A, prioritize dealing with, with your anger. Prioritize dealing with your anger. Do not delay. Don't let the sun go down. I've got a big day tomorrow. That's fine. I need to get up early. So be it. Ponder on your beds. Make the time. Cut into your sleep. Do not postpone your anger. I hope you're still in James. because I want to look at James 4. First, do not minimize its importance. There's two ways we can not prioritize it: we minimize it. It's not that bad. I'm just a little. This is where our euphemistic language comes in. I'm not that angry. I was just a little irritated. I was just a little miffed. You know, I didn't get much sleep, and so I was just having a bad day. James knows that we like to use euphemisms. Let like to minimize. I want you to notice how he uses them here. You want to know where anger comes from, at least fleshly type? You want to see the proof that it just comes from self? And we use all sorts of language to block this. We say, they make me angry. You know, they just reach right inside of me, and I was helpless, and they, they flipped the anger button, and what can I do because they made me angry? Now, biblically, you become angry. They can provoke you to wrath. They can exasperate. Fathers, should not provoke your children to anger, but when those children get angry, they got angry. James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Well, it's them, clearly. It's clearly this woman, this man, this child. Clearly, it's their fault. They make me angry was Adam said to God, this woman you gave me? What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? It's not what James says. It's not this. Your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I want you to notice something. He starts out talking about quarrels and fights. You just had a little quarrel, a little fight then he's talking about war and murder. Because that's what's really going on in the heart. And again, there's nothing wrong in saying we had a quarrel. As long as everyone understands what you're saying is, we had a somewhat controlled, somewhat subdued fight. War was going on. It was just a small skirmish. A sortie, you might say. But James unmasks that when he says, look, the only reason you guys were warring with each other is because you each wanted things. You're willing to fight for it. I'd encourage you, if this is something you struggle with, to occasionally make a point of unpacking it, undressing it. Here, I'll use, for Mother's Day, I'll use examples of me provoking my wife, me coming here. Serena, every now and then, I'll say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for speaking to you harshly. am sorry for speaking to you um, impatiently. I'll say, okay, can you, uh, can you unpack that a little more? Serena, I am sorry that I wanted... What I wanted, I wanted my pleasure, I wanted my plan, I wanted my um, schedule more than I wanted to love and serve you. And when I thought that what I wanted was in danger, I protected it and made war against you with the words of my mouth. You became my enemy and I attacked you with the drawn swords of my words. Because I wanted what I wanted more than I wanted to keep my oath that I made when I married you. Will you please forgive me? Because that's what's going on. That's what James says is going on. And that's why we can't minimize it. We can't minimize it. David is telling people in his day and age, stay up late if you have to. Find the time. Meditate on your beds. Keep your mouth shut. Work it through. So don't minimize your anger. Get rid of euphemistic language. And don't make excuses don't make excuses. That's this your next blank? Don't make excuses. Jesus also gives us the priority from the other side when he says this. Same passage I read earlier. Whoever says you fool be liable of the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there. Go before, go before the altar. Go first. be reconcile to your brother. Now, there is a little flip. If your brother's angry at you, but again, notice the priority. I got to go to church. Nope. You got to go talk to your brother. So this means mother. You may well have righteous causes to to be provoked. I mean, let me explain this. We sometimes hear it's never right to be angry with your kids or angry. With your... Yeah, no if what you mean by angriest outbursts and shrill angry words, yes, amen. But when I see one of my children act cruelly to another one of my children, when I see them dishonor and disrespect my wife, a little bit of anger rises up. That's not right. It gives a certain amount of zeal to me. It gets me in motion. I'm not apathetic to it. I think that's right. Now I need to not sin. I need to channel it. I need to work it through. It needs to not be an expression. But absolutely. Uh, husbands, may I suggest to you, if somebody were attacking, insulting, or slapping your wife, to say, I don't get angry. I just to be empathetic No. You ought to have that response. When someone curses your God, when someone takes the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and uses it as a curse word, our loyalty and fidelity to him, it is right or a certain level of heat to rise up. The Psalms are full of that. In fact, there may be instances where you ought to feel anger, and it's actually wrong of you not to. The, the, the souls under the throne of God cry, How long, how long, O Lord, to you avenge our blood? And there weren't some others going, "Well, oh, Actually, we don't mind, it's okay. It doesn't bother us. No, it's meant to be seen as their righteous cry. So we need to work through this. We need to prioritize it. Point B, do not make excuses. Counsel yourself in your anger. So you become angry. You're feeling the anger rising. You, you've hopefully obeyed this to the point of keeping your mouth shut. Okay, I've got to think this through. I need to meditate and ponder. I need to go pray. I need to not act. I need to, I need to work through this. You've done the first command. You've, you've kept your mouth shut. You haven't just said that first thing that came into your mind. You've made a priority. you found the time. You haven't p- kicked it off down the week, down the road. That was a mixed metaphor. You haven't kicked it off down the road. I'll get to it next week. You've, you've cut into your time. If you need to lose some sleep, that's fine. And now, what do you do? You ponder. You, you counsel yourself in your anger. You ponder on your beds. Okay, so, so what? And then here, it might be helpful if I give you an example. Let's imagine... A wife and mother is preparing a delicious meal for her husband and children. She coordinates with the husband, and she says, I'm making your favorite meal tonight, because I love you, and I want to honor you and serve you. And, and I need you to pick up some cream for me on your way home. And I need you to, can you be home promptly at five? And the husband, not really listening, assures her, yeah, of course, of course, of course. So she gets as far as she can get. Her motives are good and pure. Her husband's not home at 5. He doesn't answer the phone at 5.10. He eventually rolls in around 5.40, no cream. Turns out he's completely forgotten the appointment. He made other plans, and he's eating a big mac because he grabbed some food on the way home. In the meantime, the children have begun to become more and more disorderly, They're being disobedient. They're making a loud noise. They're not obeying instructions. I think this woman, this mother, this wife, is legitimately provoked to anger. And I think there may well be some righteousness in this. This is not right. This is not the way things should be. This is wrong. I think all that's right as it should be. I think that's fine. And my counsel to her would be in that moment, okay, first thing is, you probably want to not speak. Certainly not speak things you want to say. There may be time for speaking later, but here, don't sin. You need to think through this. You need to counsel yourself. And so what do you counsel yourself? First point one, think it through. Think it through. Romans 12.3 gives us instructions. Everyone among you ought not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. See, one of the first things that happens when we become angry is we get selective in our remembrances. We get selective in our remembrances. Maybe there are other factors that need to be brought in. Maybe this woman's husband has had a particularly stressful week. Maybe this woman's husband has had other, in my scenario, there's probably not a whole lot of excuses you can come up with. um, Part of it is to stop, okay, what, what else am I taking into account? Or maybe he remembers just how loving and doting on her he was just two days before, and that helps balance it out somewhat. This still isn't right, but I'm not as upset because, yeah, he does love me. He does care for me. He was very thoughtful for me. Maybe that would help. And with the children, as much as they're being disobedient and fractious and yelling at each other, they've been sitting around this table for 45 minutes without any food. Because I've been telling them, Daddy will be here any minute. I just made this example up. It's nothing This has ever happened in my household. Let me be clear on that? Oh, When Serena saw the rapper, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely a work of fiction here. Um, think it through, and then speak truth to yourself. Point two. Speak truth to yourself. What is true? And this is where whether we have righteous anger or sinful anger will become very apparent. Let me tell you some things that are true. First, there is a living God who sees all and will judge in righteousness. That's the first truth I need to tell myself. This may well be wrong. Mother, your child may well be wronging you. You may be entirely right about that. There's a living God and it has not escaped his notice. And it will be present in his scales of judgment. That sin will either be paid for, will have been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And one of the lashings he received, and one of the strokes of the hammer will be for that sin. Else, your husband, your child will pay for that sin in hell. Make no mistake, perfect justice will be done. This won't get swept under the rug. This won't sort of drop along the side. No, the Psalms assure us. Listen to Psalm 96. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it, let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for He comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness, and the peoples in faithfulness. And He doesn't need much of your or my help to do that. And so one thing that helps me in my anger when I'm tempted to to speak out is to picture Absalom. Remember how Absalom mounted his coup? He set up his little kangaroo court. Actually, I'll do social distancing, Dave. I'll move back. He set up his little kangaroo court on the way to David's temple palace, David's home. And he cried out, Oh, that there were a king who would give justice. And he starts rendering on his own judgments what he's doing, and what we're meant to see, is he's usurping the authority and the prerogative of King David. He's really mounting insurrection. Well, you and my hearts want to do the same thing. If only there were a living God who would judge, I guess I'm going to have to take care of it myself. Okay, I guess I'm going to have to step here and pour out some judgment. Because God isn't really pulling his weight on this. So... I guess my tongue lashing will have to do. Now, Romans 12 tells us, never avenge yourselves. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you'll reap burning coals on his head. So that's a true thing you can can counsel yourself with. What else is true? I've provoked other people. There's another truth. I've provoked other people to wrath, and they've been patient with me. Here's a, here's a great quote. This is from Charles Spurgeon. If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are far worse than he thinks you to be. Amen? And so we can preach this truth But there's more truth than just that. Those truths tend to focus, I think, at the personal offense and the heat. But anger, and understand, anger is absolutely can be righteous. Our God is angry. The Bible makes it clear. Jesus became angry. God, he's slow to anger, but he does get there eventually. He's slow to anger, but he's a consuming fire. Anger may be the very thing to motivate you to go correct and discipline your child. Having worked it through, not controlled by your anger, not lashing out in anger, but that feeling, that emotion, that heat that rises up, maybe the very thing to get you up off the couch and to go lovingly deal with your child. Or, according to Leviticus 19, the text where we get the second greatest commandment, look at this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart... You shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Don't, don't take revenge. Don't get in bitter and bear a grudge. Go talk to him. And that anger, which if you don't deal with it, will either solidify into a thirst for vengeance or cold shoulder, is the very thing pushing you to go talk to that person, to love your neighbor as yourself. Frequently, that's how I'll know that I need to go talk to somebody. I'll find myself a day or two after an event that I thought I was over, I thought I was going to forget about, going, that still bugs me. Okay, Jeremy, make a priority. You probably need to go talk to that person. Or you will begin to hate him. You will begin to be embittered towards him. You'll begin to resent him. Those are some true things I can think. I could also think Proverbs 19.11. If we're not dealing with an issue of sin, if it's just a preference, and, this, and, and these things can be real. They invited so-and-so, and they invited so-and-so, but they didn't invite me, of all people. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger. It's a glory to overlook an offense. Now, that's truth you could speak to yourself. Maybe the truth is I need to go correct my brother. I need to go rebuke my brother. And then begin, okay, how does the Bible say to do that? Do that righteously. Do that rightly. This is how to handle your anger. Or maybe you need to offer it up to God. You're you're seeing wickedness and sin in the world. You're seeing atrocities happening across the globe. What do you plan to do about it? Nothing. Except offer it up to the God of heaven who judges the earth. And the Psalms are full of that as well. This is remarkable. Here's some truth for you. Our Lord Jesus suffered on the cross for our sins. No one was ever more greatly wronged. No one ever deserved better and got worse. And listen to this. 1 Peter 2. For to this you've been called... Christ also suffered for you, you leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus didn't say, It's okay, I can deal with it. He didn't say I deserve it. He didn't say it's no big thing. It's a hugely big thing. My father will judge it in his time, and that will satisfy me. Now, back to my example of this fictitious woman whose husband forgets about dinner. What does that mean? It means she's checking her heart to make sure this isn't about self. This isn't about, but I did. And what you're left with is still a wrong. You're left with a husband whose yes is not his yes. You've left with a husband who, although he swore oaths of priority, has let that priority drop. So that he forgot his commitments. You're left with children who are not honoring their mother and father. Things should be done. This woman needs to eventually talk to her husband. And say, you, you said you would do this. You, you did not do this. What, what, what happened? And show it to him appropriately. It's loving for her to do that. He needs that loving correction. He needs that done rightly. It's an act of kindness and love. He rebukes a man who will afterwards find more favor with him than he who flatters. But only after she's worked through it, so she's not fighting for her kingdom and her rights. But no, because I love my husband, because I want him to honor God, I, I want to point out to him and call him on this. that He might have a chance to change and grow. Your children are evidencing their, their sinfulness. They need that correction as well. Again, not because you're thwarting their will and you're driving them crazy but because you have a stewardship from God to shepherd these children. And all of that frustration is meant to, to move you in that direction as you work through it rightly, not acting in anger, not controlled by your anger, taking it to God, counseling yourself, think truth, s- think through it, speak truth to yourself. Point three, decide how to respond. Decide how to respond. Is this something I should just Ignore. Is this something I should just offer in prayer? Is this something where I should do something? Finally, point three, and we'll, we'll try to be quick. Give no opportunity to the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. This again reminds us the importance of this. The devil's name, the adversary, he is, here's your blank, an accuser. He is an accuser. And when you and I are angry at others, that's what our heart is doing. It's holding a court within us. And we repeat again and again and again the prosecution's charges against them. And we rehearse and we go over it. Gossip is simply bringing those charges against them to other people. That's what the devil does. Remember our study of Zechariah? In Zechariah... 3, verses 1 to 2, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing in his right hand to accuse him. The book of Revelation twelve ten. we read this, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. This is, again, why you want to deal with this quickly. If instead of dealing with your anger, making the time, pondering on your bed, figuring out, what should I do about this? Do I need to go talk to somebody? Do I need to offer this up to God? Do I need move past this? If instead of dealing with it, you let your heart again and again remind you, that's like the devil. Which I'm assuming is not somebody you want to characterize. The adversary is an accuser, so be careful. Give no opportunity to the devil. You see how the devil could have an opportunity. If the devil accuses the brethren and your heart's accusing the brethren, he can write the say, That's right. Can't believe he did that to you of all people, to me of all people. And you form a little diabolical feedback loop. Finally, because unresolved anger fragments our unity. Unresolved anger fragments our unity, which is where this whole section began, back, at, back in Ephesians now, finally. First three verses of chapter four, remember? I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How long is that unity going to last if we're harboring grudges and resentments, inwardly condemning and repeatedly condemning and rehearsing the wrongs of our brothers who did these things to us? How is a marriage going to survive where a wife stores up the wrongs done against her in a book, keeping track, rehearsing that book when her memory fails her? Or a husband... Remembering every wrong and every slight. That that marriage is not going to make it very long or very well. It fragments the unity of the body. It will fragment a marriage. Look at verse 31 and 32 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And finally, look at Ephesians 6, verse 10 and 11. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against The schemes of the devil. What Paul's saying is this. When you've got anger in your heart that has not been counseled and channeled and sanctified and submitted to God's word, when you're just walking around with a burning flame in your bosom, (laughs) the devil has an immense opportunity because you're speaking his language. You're speaking his native tongue when you, I can't believe they did that. Why would they do that? That's who and what he is. And he'll be right there. He's got an inn. He's got a foothold. He's got a beachhead, to use the war analogy. He will make use of it. He walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And so we, we need to take our anger seriously. We need to sanct- We need to be self-controlled. We need to prioritize. it. We need to counsel ourselves. We need to be angry and do not be sin. This is how to handle your Anger. I'm going to call the worship team up. We're going to prepare for our final song. You can remain seated for it. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, I just pray that you would give us um, the faith to receive this. Help us to stop minimizing, excusing, and avoiding dealing with our anger. It's important. And we need to submit it to you. We need to submit our hearts to you. We need to submit all of ourselves to you. Help us to find the time and the priority to deal with these things so that Christ would reign in our hearts through faith. Calm our spirits and our thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen.